give it up for Jesus as you are seated in the house of God. I'm so glad you are here today. Oh, man, I needed that time alone with Jesus. How many needed that moment just to tell Jesus you love him? You just needed it, amen? We worship with the band, but sometimes you just got to have those heart-to-hearts, man. We're in a sermon series on the book of Matthew. We're going to chapter 3 today, so let's get right into it. Open up to Matthew chapter 3. Just want to say congratulations again to the 20 people who got baptized last week. That was amazing. Praise God. Those testimonies were just inspiring, life-changing, and just encouraging to me. Make sure those who got baptized, you get your certificates. And if you missed it, there'll be one coming up pretty soon. So uh, we got you. We got you, fam. I listened to the book of Matthew on the way here in my commute. Of course, I was driving a little bit slower, so I'm glad you guys came to church today with the snow and everything. But we're Chicagoans, right? We can take it. Uh, I listened to about 15 chapters of the book of Matthew on the way here. Just on the way here, one commute, one day, 15 chapters. You can do this, saints. I want you at least, at minimum, to listen to the chapter I am going to speak on each week. So you can do that by coming ahead of time, uh, listening to it ahead of time, coming ready, because you know, like, if I, ch- if I speak on chapter three this week, when am I going to speak on next week? Chapter four. So you can, you know, listen to it ahead of time, or you can listen to chapter three now this week. And I'm saying listen, because that's a lot of times what I do in my commute. But of course, read. How many like to read? few of us here like to read? Read your Bible. Listen to your Bible. That way you can say, I am putting something into this sermon series. You're not just trying to have me do all the work. It's like a bank account, man. I got paid when I read the word. Amen? I put in work and I put in deposits. Now, y'all going to get some withdrawal from that. I'm going to make it rain some Holy Ghost wisdom up in here. But you guys got to put in work and build up your bank account. You can't just wait for pastor to come do it every single week. You've got to learn how to deposit the word of God into your life. And of course, you can rely upon me to teach it, to explain it, to give notes and links like you'll see in today's notes, uh, you know, who the Pharisees and Sadducees are. I'm going to do my part, trust me, but do your part. Can I get an amen if you're going to do your part? Amen. Let's go to chapter three of the book of Matthew. It's all about Jesus. You can hashtag that at any time while you are in church. It is all about Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, we get to learn now about John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came. So this is after the birth of Jesus, after the Magi, after all of those things. And we have now skipped about 30 years here into the future. So the first two chapters uh, is the birth of Jesus. And around that same time is the birth of John the Baptist. He's a cousin of Jesus, if you remember that in the story. And now John the Baptist is about 30 years old, starting his ministry. And he's going to run into Jesus, who's about 30 years old. So they were born just within a few months of each other. Because if you remember, when Mary was pregnant with Jesus, she came to Elizabeth, her cousin who had John the Baptist in her womb, and when Jesus got around John the Baptist, John the Baptist leapt on the inside, which is an amazing thing to teach us about the the personhood of unborn children, okay? Unborn children are still children, and so John the Baptist got excited being around Jesus. So in those days, John the Baptist came. Let me just explain why he's called that. If you, and I always say this because I really want you to understand how this historical narrative is being written. 
Jesus has already ascended to heaven. This is around 50 AD. Matthew is writing this and handing it to the church. So as he's writing the book of Matthew, he's telling you things that now you can know. But if you were alive at that time, you might not have seen it so clearly. Like how I said in verse 1, he starts off with Jesus the Messiah. Well, obviously the Jewish people did not believe he was the Messiah. Otherwise, they wouldn't have crucified him, right? Well, the same thing is here. They're now nicknaming John, John the Baptist. It's like you should have known he was a, a baptized because he was going around baptizing people. So now all of us know him as John the Baptist. Okay, just to let you know that. So in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. That's a part of Jerusalem. And saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now I want you to see what is the very first message of the New Testament as somebody starts to preach? What is the very first message John the Baptist starts with? It says, go up just a little bit, please. It starts with an R. What's that word? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I don't understand why the message of repentance is looked down upon today in this culture. In the church especially, I just, for the life of me, I cannot get it other than it is a satanic attack keeping us from the blessings of God. Now, you, that's the first message that's preached by the prophet John the Baptist in the New Testament. What is the very first message of Jesus? Just go over one chapter, chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4. Go there quickly. We'll follow along on the karaoke stream, but I need you moving fast because sometimes he can't keep up. So I need you guys there because we'll take too much time waiting for him to put up everything on the karaoke screen. But if you go to Matthew chapter 4, it says here in Matthew chapter 4 verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach what? What did Jesus begin to preach? Repent for what? The kingdom of heaven has come near. Now go to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. What is the very first message of the New Testament church? What is the very first message of the New Testament church? Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter has explained what's going on as Jesus ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit has come down. The blessing of the Lord is upon these people. They are speaking in tongues, hallelujah. And they say in verse 37, brothers, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter replied, what? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now listen to this. Verse 40, with many other words. What did he do? He, what did he do, saints? He warned them and he what? Pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Go back to Matthew chapter 3, please. How have we gotten so far from the message of John the Baptist, Jesus, and the apostles? You would think the message of repentance is hating sinners. By telling people they are sinners and they're repent, they need to repent, people now take that like you are hating them. That is the greatest message of love. 
Imagine if somebody came to you as you were going to pay your, your phone bill, and they said, say you're sorry, and we'll pay off everything you owe on this phone bill. Say you're sorry for your mortgage, and we'll pay off the entire mortgage. Say you're sorry for your, your, your school loans, we'll pay off the whole thing. How many know if they are saying to you, we'll do this for you, but if you do this, that's a good thing. And, and by the way, we know that like getting school loans is not equivalent to sin, but I'm just trying to use it as an example of somebody doing something for you. And this should be even, even, even more powerful in this example because imagine if you're at, in jail and somebody says, ask for forgiveness and we let you out. Oh, come on. This whole place would be full of the criminals. The whole jails would be empty. Of course they would say they were sorry. But we are criminals against our God. We have all sinned against our God, and we deserve punishment. We're just not getting heaven. We're missing hell, guys, because we deserve hell. So the message of repentance, and that's an English word meaning repentant, and what that means is you're turning away from what you are penitent for. So that's an English word. Uh, the, the Greek word and the Hebrew word give you the, the, the same idea. It's a turning away from your sins, changing of your mind, changing of direction. Why in the world is this a message we shy away from? It has to be we're afraid of the culture. It just has to be. And so the devil has convinced us as Christians, we can't be like John the Baptist. This is a different time. You know, poor old silly John and silly old Jesus and those silly apostles, man, they didn't know what we know now. We know now what Oprah says. And what Oprah says goes. And so if Oprah doesn't call it a sin and doesn't make an issue out of it, then we shouldn't make an issue out of it, right? We only make issues out of what the culture makes issues out of. The culture's upset about sex trafficking. We can, as a church, we now have their permission to talk about sex trafficking. But, but they, they, they like abortion. You don't have permission to talk about abortion. It's almost like they give you the hall pass of what you can talk about. It's like you first have to ask Ellen, Ellen, do I have permission to talk about abortion? No, you don't. But here's your hall pass. You can talk about racism. Come on, somebody. See, the world wants to dictate to you your message. This Bible has a message that will outlast every single person, every worldview they have right now. The Bible says the world will fade away, but the word of God will endure forever. Look at John the Baptist as your example. He is preparing the way of the Lord, his first coming. We are now to prepare the way of the Lord for his second coming. If the message of his first coming came with repentance, how much more should we be preaching the message for his second coming with repentance? Praise God, somebody. Help us, Lord, to preach like how you and your disciples and your prophets preached. Amen. Now go to verse 4. We get to learn a bit about John. The Bible says uh, what he wore. It wasn't Gucci, so you don't have to be mad at him. If you all don't know about that, that's okay. But he didn't wear Gucci. Uh, John's clothes were made of camel's hair. And he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Now, we know that sounds crazy in the 21st century. Guess what? In the first century, that was crazy too. <laughs> they were like, John, what you doing wearing that stuff? And why are you eating bugs? So, like, sometimes we look back and we're just like, oh, man, I must have been cool back then. No, I wasn't cool back then. I mean, there are some cultures, like in Mexico, you know, they'll eat the, the roaches. Is that right? The roaches, the crickets. 
crickets, thank you. So very similar to a locust. It's like a cricket, you know. Okay, you know, some, some people in cultures, but it's still overwhelmingly rejected, you know. Uh, it's like we don't do that. Just these certain people do that. And it's the same thing with like John the Baptist. Yeah, you could technically eat locusts back then, but nobody was going around really doing it, and no one was just eating wild honey, like literally going to the place where it's at and taking it out and eating it. Uh, verse 5, though, says people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their what? Confessing their what? Sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So he was effective. He was impactful in his message, just like we are. There were 20 people baptized last week. The message of repentance and forgiveness works. It works. It works around the world. It will work in your world. It has worked in ancient times. It will work in this time. All people are searching for is the answer. They just want to know the answer. Now, after that, they can still be rebellious. Don't get me wrong. We can't force them to heaven. But as I get further in this message, I'm going to give you some examples. People are crying out for the answer. And we need to give it to them. And so I want you to think about it like this. Corey Tim Boom, a survivor of the, the Nazi Holocaust, she was in a, a concentration camp. Th this is what she said. She said, if you look within yourself for happiness, you'll be distressed. Uh, you'll, just, you'll just be like, man, I can't find it inside. Where is it? You look to the world, you'll be depressed. You'll be like, man, I know it's not out here. But if you look to Jesus, your soul will be at rest. You look inside, you're distressed. You look out here, you're depressed. You look to Jesus, your soul is at rest. Well, what is that exchange that you make with Jesus? You give him your sins, he gives you his righteousness. You give him your problems and your pain, and he gives you his answers and his healing. That is the exchange that God is giving us through repentance. And so they came to John confessing their sins, saying, I want to be forgiven. And that's why, I mean, come on, let's just think about this. That's why at the end of every service, we have altar workers up here because we are keeping the tradition of the prophets, which is come from where you are, confess your sins, and get right with God. And you might say, well, well Pastor, I, I thought I only have to confess them to God to be right. That's true. But then why did they confess them to John the Baptist? Why do we have people up here for you to get prayer for, to, to make that known? Is because if you fear God, you won't fear man, and you would love for people to affirm your walk with God now. They could have said, well, John, I don't need you. I'll just pray over here and say, Jesus, forgive me. Or at that time, Father, forgive me, whatever, and then just go about their way. But what was the significance of going out of their way, way out into the Jordan, to this wild man eating locusts and confessing their sins so everybody could hear it in the Jordan River, then they get dunked? What was the significance of, of that? They were showing they fear God, not man. They were saying, we're willing to put it all on the line. And I'm not saying you have to come up here and, and, and tell every naughty secret, but when we call you up to confess your sins, to get prayer, and then one day to get baptized, we are asking you to follow in the same pattern of the prophets and the apostles. Amen? So they would confess their sins. They would get baptized. Now, verse 7, watch this. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you nice guys, who told you to come out here and join the party? I'm so happy you came. Let's chill for a little bit. Is that what it says? No, it says you broad of vipers or you brood of vipers who warns you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You say you believe this, produce fruit and prove it. 
And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. We are Jews of Jews. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. That don't mean nothing. The axe is already laid at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up with the chaff, burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Oh, come on, somebody. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus, preach like this. Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, let them see, scroll up the, the, the links there. You can look it up, get some good nuggies on them. Uh, Pharisees were great guys during the Maccabean period who really stood for justice and fought against the idolatry of the Jewish people. So they weren't sinister when they first started. We look at them in the New Testament and they're sinister. They're always plotting against Jesus and they're the really the oompa loompa of every plot, every story, every joke, it's on them. It's, they're the bad guys. But they didn't start that way. They were once the righteous. They were once the holy. But over time, they began to become religious and nullify the things of God with their traditions. Uh, The Sadducees were quite different. The Sadducees were like super liberal. Everything went. They were just political in their belief with God. They actually didn't even believe in the soul. They didn't believe there was an afterlife. They just thought this was all there was, and God just gave you this chance at life, so you had to get all that you could. These two are both equally being rebuked by John. Go back to the notes there, please. I know we have nice people in this church that may not have uh, the tenacity or the personality to be as bold as I am naturally. You're just naturally nice. You're naturally soft-spoken. But I want to ask you a question. My personality or your personality, does that change the Word of God? It doesn't. If Jesus was as quiet as a mouse and I am like a loud Italian, does that give me an excuse to to be as loud as I want to be and then say, oh, that's just my personality? No, if being quiet as a mouse was what I was supposed to do in life and walk around like a Buddhist monk, you know, I would do it. Are you with me? Okay, but if you're, spo- if you're quiet, listen, and you're, and you're generally to yourself and you're shy, and God says you're supposed to speak up and you're supposed to at times be confrontational, can you make your personality now an idol that you put before your God or are you supposed to obey God? Okay, so I, want you just to, I just want you to get this message because I don't think we really get it. I want us to get it so good right now because this will explain to you who I am as a pastor, what this church is about, and what we're always going to be about just in the first few verses here about John the Baptist's message. His message was summarized as repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's Jesus' message. That's the apostles' message. But we get a little bit more insight into what he says. Let's notice some of the things he says in his message. First thing, first thing, he calls them names. <laughs> that went over somebody said. I'm going to say it again. Starting off the message, first thing he does is he calls them names. Please don't get mad at me if I call you names. Please don't get mad at me if I call Ellen degenerate instead of Ellen DeGeneres. Don't get mad at me if I use names in describing wicked behavior. 
I know we were taught not to do that in kindergarten, and that's good for kindergartens to learn how to talk to each other without calling each other's names. That's true, but we're not kindergartners. We live in a world where people are going to heaven and hell, and sometimes to get to their heart, you got to offend their mind. Not intentionally, not that you're just trying to be offensive, but sometimes you got to shake them up a little bit. So I know you're nice, and I know niceanity to you is Christianity, but can we just point to the first real message of the Bible in the New Testament? Starts off with calling names. Calling names. Jesus called them a whole bunch of names in Matthew 23. So if you're just like, well, that's just crazy John the Baptist, wait till Jesus gets on them. Jesus calls them snakes. Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. Jesus calls them children of the devil. And, and let me just say this. I'm going to blow your mind right now. Can I blow your mind? Y'all big people up in here. What is a female dog? Don't say it, but what is a female dog? It's a bee, isn't it? And we now know in our conversation, like, you don't call somebody a bee. What do you think a viper was in the first century? This is the exact same thing. The exact same. Oh, you're like, man, I got permission to cuss now, Pastor, huh? I get to cuss everybody out. Man, wait till I get to tell them about Jesus. Wait till I get to tell somebody about Jesus. Boy, I'm going to call him a son of a bee. I'm going to let them know, but Jesus loves you. No, I just, I just want, you to, I want you to get out of Mr. Rogers' Christianity. Get out of it. It is holding you back. It is a noose around your neck. When he called them a viper in the first century, my friend, there was no other level of other words he could have pulled from to say, you're this. Think of where we get our words from, a female dog. If I were to go back and say the B word to someone in the first century, they would look at me and go, what does that mean? And if I go, it means a female dog, they'd be like, well, that's kind of stupid. I don't get it, but, I, you know, you get it, whatever. Y you see what I'm saying? But if I said, you're a viper, they would be like, oh, you called me a what? Cover the children's ears. John the Baptist went to cussing. And really, 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 really what our words are just syllables that have meanings. And so we say we don't cuss, and then we say don't curse. But what really is a curse? A curse is saying something that God doesn't like. You get it? Now I can say this and not be wrong because I can actually mean it. God damn it. Some of y'all get stubbed with, you know, you're, you know, you're using the hammer and the nail. You hit your, your, your uh, finger with the hammer, and you say, God damn it, like God's going to send a hammer to hell. And you're misusing that term, so you're taking his name in vain. But, but when God looks at sinful things, you could say, God damn it. God's you all think I'm cussing already. I'm not, because God damns things. Does God damn things, yes or no? Because that's going to be the next thing I'm going to get into, is there are things being damned here. There are things being cursed here, and it's out of love. Sometimes you've got to call somebody a viper to let them know, I love you, but I don't look past all the junk in your life right now. i got to bring it up to you. You know, sometimes everybody just wants you to, to not judge them and do all these things. But you notice that no one has a problem when you judge a nice judgment. Like if I say, oh, you look nice today, somebody doesn't go, who are you to judge me? Telling me I look nice today. Why are you judging me? No, it's only when you say, the Bible says don't do X, Y, and Z, then they go, don't judge me. But then what do we say back? I'm not judging you. This has. I'm just telling you what it says. 
I'm not telling you I'm your judge. I'm telling you what the judge said. And as I've given this example a hundred times, we're going to get to it in Matthew because that passage is here. Do I have to be Judge Judy to tell you what Judge Judy just said on the TV show? Like you go away into the bathroom and you say, well, what did she say? I go, well, Judge Judy said this, this, and that, and this, this, and that. Am I the judge? No, I just told you what Judge Judy said. Do I have to be a police officer to tell you what the laws are in this state or in the city? No, I just tell you what the laws are. We're not judging you. Do you get that? If you're here today and you're listening to me by online or whatever, we're not your judges, but we're telling you what the judge said to you. And if you think to yourself that you're getting away with stuff, you think you're sneaky like a snake, God's got you. You're a viper. And he's going to send you to hell in just a few moments in this message. So the first thing that starts off in John the Baptist's message, he starts calling people names. The second thing he does, I mean, it's not even my words. I know I'm a preacher and I get excited about this. But what's the next thing he says? Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? He threatens them. He calls them a name and then he threatens them. Like, what you doing out here? You really don't want to uh, go to heaven. you just playing. He mocks them. He threatens them. He then tells them, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then he mocks them again. He said, don't you think you can say, I have Abraham as my father? Who cares who your father is? And then he says, the ax is already at the roots. He this is the third time he threatens them. He calls them a name. He mocks them twice. He threatens them three times. He hasn't even got to the, the message. This is just his what? Introduction. <laughs> Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down, thrown to the fire. As you will begin to hear, Jesus talks about hell all the time. As a matter of fact, where is heaven described anywhere in this passage? I'm, I'm just asking you, when is the word God, the phrase, God loves you, has a plan for your life, you're so cute and cuddly, when is that even mentioned here? I'm not saying we can't say those things, but oftentimes I go witnessing with people and all you have to say is, you know, God loves you. Most sinners know that, but you've got to tell them they're a snake, a viper, the axe is laid at the root, and they're about ready to go to hell because they don't know that. <laughs> That's the thing they don't know. What they do know is only God can judge me, and God loves me. We all are king's kids. We all God's kids. They know that, but they don't know this. you got to tell them the whole story out of love. I'm thankful my mother told me the story. I mean, aren't you happy somebody preached to you the whole story? Why doesn't he talk about heaven? Because, my friends, heaven is not your bribe. It's not like, oh, live for Jesus so you can go see all your relatives. Live for Jesus so you can be around streets of gold. Live for Jesus so you can be healed. If you're crippled, you can walk again. If you're blind, you can see. No, there's none of that here. The motivation is God is worthy of your life. And in God's world, this is what you are like. Get this. You are just like a tree that grows for a little bit. But if you don't produce fruit, you're getting cut down, thrown to the fire. Because you ain't that big of stuff around here. And the next thing he calls them is he literally says, you are like chaff. Now, if you don't know much about farming, they would bring in the wheat. And wheat is like a little kernel that comes from a plant. And, and around the kernel is chaff. It's like a little bit of the skin. And so what they would do is they get all the wheat into one place. They would take their winnowing fork to winnow it away. And they would throw it up in the air. And it would be so light, that chaff, that little skin, that the wind would blow it off of the wheat. And the chaff would blow away. And the wheat would fall and hit the ground. So they would just keep throwing it up on a nice windy day day, keep throwing it up, chaff is going. He says, that's what you're like without God. You are that easily just blown away right into hell. 
Does John the Baptist hate us? Does he hate Pharisees? Is he upset upset with us? Does Jesus not love us? No. Just think about it. Come on, guys. Why isn't Jesus' first message, I love you and I have a plan for your life? Why is his first message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? And that's really, by the way, about all we get about heaven is it's coming. That's, that's just all we get. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's only one other place where Jesus describes mansions, but that's it. But what does he talk about hell? He says, hell, unquenchable fire. What does he say about it? It's the wrath of God. What else does he say about in other places? It's gnashing of teeth. It's a place where the worm dies not. It's a place of unending pain. But heaven... It's a place where I am. Why is he only has to describe it in a few terms of heaven, but all these terms in hell, talking more about hell than he does about heaven? It's because he wants you to go there, go to heaven because of him, and avoid hell, knowing that he's not there. See, what's it like where God's not at that place? It's pain. That's what it's like where God's not at. See, where God is at is everything you need, but where God is not at, it's literally like mental insanity. It's gnawing of your tongue and and gnashing of your teeth. So he says, I'm going to, you know, God's going to cut you down. And then he says something so significant about Jesus. Jesus is so amazing. The one coming after me, I can't even carry his shoes. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. But if you don't want that, you're going to be thrown into an unquenchable fire. Somebody say, preach. Amen. Let's go to verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. See, why does John want to be baptized by Jesus? Because he knows he's divine. Now, let me show you this. Let me show you. Go to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Who does he quote from when he says, I am the one preparing a way in the wilderness? Who is he quoting from? Isaiah. And Isaiah said that you're going to prepare. This this messenger is going to prepare the way of who? The Lord. Who is the Lord in Isaiah? Yahweh. He's God. Look at it. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the So who does John the Baptist think he's preparing the way for? The Lord. So God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Are there three lords? No. There is one Lord manifesting or or, or eternally existing in three separate divine persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Lord himself is coming on the earth. Now do you understand why John the Baptist says, dude, I, I can't even hold his sandals because God is going to walk among us. God is going to be with us. Go back to Isaiah chapter 7. Remember in chapter 1, we learned what he shall be called. What will be his nickname? His name will be called what? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Come on, go to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. See, John the Baptist understood the identity of Jesus. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to go through all of them up, uh, up until this point of the deity and the proof of God's divinity, uh, Jesus' divinity. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him what? Emmanuel. And then in Matthew, it actually tells you in Matthew chapter 1, which means God with us. Now go back to Matthew chapter 1. Just follow along in your Bible. I got to go quickly. 
Matthew says that Jesus is the Messiah four times in the first 18 verses. Then he says Jesus is not only the Messiah, he's God, he's Emmanuel. When he quotes Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Then Matthew quotes Micah chapter 5 verse 2. It says he'll come from Bethlehem, he'll be your shepherd and ruler. But that is a shepherd and ruler that says is from ancient times, has no beginning. That means he is God with them. Then we read also in chapter 2 that the Magi worship him. Just like in Matthew 14, 33, as the disciples worshipped him. You could not worship anyone other than God without being called an idolater. Then we see that John the Baptist comes and says that I am the voice of the one preparing the way for the Lord, preparing the way for God. Then he says, I'm not even worthy to hold his sandals. He is going to be the one that judges. The Bible has specifically the role of God as judge. Then it goes on to say that I must be baptized of you, Jesus. Why would John the Baptist want to be baptized by another prophet if he was just a mere man? He knows this is God in the flesh. And then lastly, when the baptism happens, the Father speaks, the Spirit comes down, and the Father says, this is my Son. Within the first three chapters, there are seven references to the divinity of Christ. Who do you think Jesus is to Matthew? He is God in the flesh. Go Go to John chapter 1. Jesus is not being created when he comes in the flesh. He has come from all eternity. He has been with the Father. All he is doing when he comes in the flesh is taking on that earth suit. Look at another disciple and another another gospel telling the story, but from a different perspective. Matthew's telling the story from earth's perspective. John tells it from heaven. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who's the Word he's referring to there? Jesus, go to verses 14, verse 14 in John chapter 1. It says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the what? He came from the what? The father. So the son's been with the father full of grace and truth. Go to verse 18. The Bible says no one has ever seen God but the one and only son who is himself what? God and his closest relationship with the Father has done what? Made him known. Go back to Matthew. Do you got some good doctrine there? Jesus is God in the flesh. John the Baptist is saying, dude, I can't even touch his shoe. Think about that for a minute. A man that is known as one of the greatest prophets in the Bible is literally saying, I can't even touch his shoe. And then when he sees him, He's like, you need to baptize me. Why? Because that's the Lord he's been preparing the way for. That's Yahweh. Yahweh baptized me. And then Jesus explains, I have to do this for righteousness sake. Now think about this. If Jesus is sinless, why is he doing something that people had to do to be forgiven of sins? They went to get baptized because they had to confess their sins. Why is Jesus doing it? And this is where sometimes people try to say that Jesus was a good man that they eventually mythicized into God. He's a man becoming God. But Jesus is very clear. The gospel writers are very clear. The reason why he does it is for righteousness sake. Now think about this. It's not just why he gets baptized is for righteousness sake. It's everything else he does. Why does he get tired if he's God? 
for righteousness sake. Why does he allow people to beat him and make him bleed for righteousness sake? Well, you couldn't make God bleed, right? But why does he allow the human experience to be something that he has in fullness? He gets really hungry. He gets really tired. You could, you could poke him and he'll bleed. He had to learn things. Does that mean he's not God? No, he's doing it as God in the flesh, as the perfect man for righteousness sake. In other words, he's saying, I made y'all, you messed it up, I'm going to come down, limit myself just to be like you and show you it can be done perfectly. I will be righteous in every single thing I do. Now, guess what the flip side of that is? Now with Christ in you, you can live righteous just like that. That's the whole reason why he said, guess what? My father's perfect, so be ye perfect. Because as I am, so are you. I've showed you the example. And I know you want to say nobody's perfect and you're born a sinner. But guess what? That's why I want to make you born again. So what Jesus becomes is not a one-off. It's not like Jesus becomes a one-off. Jesus becomes the mold in heaven's new factory of making sons and daughters. What he now accomplishes, we get stamped in the mold of who he is. Go to Romans chapter 8. Many of you miss this when it talks about nothing can separate me from the love of God. But you got to understand the theology of Romans and why it's telling you there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Because there's a deep nuggie that's right in there. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 says that we are now the children of God sharing in the same image of Christ. Go to verse 28. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know, come on, how many know this scripture? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. How many know that? But now watch, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his what? Of his son, that he might be the firstborn among what? Many brothers and sisters. He's the form, and we're all being conformed to him. So now what he has done for righteousness' sake, we now can do if we are born again. Can we do it without being born again? No. You cannot be righteous without being born again. None of us can keep God's commands perfectly without being born again. But once we're born again, can we be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect? Can that be our goal every day in life, that I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to look at porn, I'm not going to steal? Absolutely. Now, if we sin, God will still forgive us. But we might not always be sinless, but we should be sinning less the more and more we know Jesus. Because that's always our goal. Amen? How many times do you think my wife wants to forgive me of cheating on her? How many? Ten times will be cool, just ten. Just don't cost ten, that's too much. How many times do you think my wife wants me to cheat on her? Zero. How many times do you think God wants you to sin right now? Zero. Let's live like we know Jesus, amen? He did this for us. He's doing the righteous things for us. He's showing, look at me, look at me. I can go down in water too, so you go down in your water. You know? Look at me, I can obey my mom and dad. You obey your mom and dad. Look at me, I can love my enemies. You love your enemies. Look at me, I can do the right thing. You, know, you do the right thing. That's why he's doing it, because otherwise he would have came down here like Superman. He would have been zapping everything, floating on the sky, making stuff appear all the time. I mean, he came as a man. Now, of course, God let him do some miracles, and how many glad he made the water into wine? Hey. Amen. And he did some, you know, changing of bread and, and fish and all that. But, but mostly, he's not operating in the supernatural that way. He's just like a normal dude doing all these things. But that, that supernatural power, even that, what did he say? The things I do, you can do. Because the Holy Spirit that's on me is also on you. That's what he said. Read John chapter 4, 14, 15, and 16. Amen? So let's go back to these notes. Verse 13. 
Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John tried to deter him and say, I need to be baptized by you, and, and you come to me? But Jesus says, let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And you can literally say, it's proper for us to do this and insert the entire life of Jesus in there. It's proper for me to do all of this for the sake of righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out the water at that moment, heaven was opened. I mean, come on. You just saw the dimension of heaven. It, the, the, the normal universe, matter, space, and time separates. You're looking at the dimension of heaven. Come on, somebody. You look at heaven, and then the Spirit of God comes from heaven into this dimension like a dove descending like a dove and alighting on him. It's like the Holy Spirit is saying, this is, my, this is my guy right here. I'm with him. Everywhere he goes, I'm going. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. In chapter 3, we learn so many interesting things, but the most important thing we learn is that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus is worthy of our worship and our adoration. We're not worshiping a man that becomes God. We're worshiping God the Son who's existed in all of eternity. And we learn that these prophets like John the Baptist had messages, and they were bold, and they were confrontational, but they came with love and compassion and bore great fruit. Can I give you guys now a little bit of the message? That's pretty much the introduction. But I want to show you what's going on in our culture right now because I want us to preach about the Son the same way these guys did. I want us to prepare the way for the Son's second coming. How many know he came the first time as a baby in a manger, but he's coming the second time as a king on a horse? You believe that? Okay, so let's make it real. How are you going to preach about the Son of God in your everyday life? Well, Let's use Chris Pratt as an example. Chris Pratt, love him from uh, Parks and Recs, funny guy Andy there. Also the star of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. How many know the actor? I'm talking about Chris Pratt, okay? He's a Christian. I am not here to judge his Christian testimony. I really like him as an actor. I hope the best for him. I don't know much about him, but I'm just going to go, A-okay, Chris Pratt, you're a Christian. Same thing with Justin Bieber. He was celibate before he got married. He knows doing all that he knows to do is right. And I would say this. If we look at them with different lenses than we look at our neighbors, then we're judging them severely. We shouldn't do that. Judge them the same way you would judge your neighbor here because maybe they don't always do the right thing, but your neighbor doesn't always do the right thing. But as long as they're teachable, willing to be repentive, just as we've learned, Let's support them. Amen? And if they come out wild, we'll rebuke them. Amen? No problem with that. So he's on one of these talk shows, and he basically is sharing about his life. And he goes, you know, I was just meeting with my pastor, Carl Lentz of Hillsong, and he was talking about a fast. So I did a 21-day fast. You know, Bible says Daniel did a 21-day fast. So I was, you know, talking to my pastor. He asked me to do a fast. So I did a fast with my pastor. Then you have Ellen Page go to Twitter. Now, you may not recognize her by her name, but she was in a famous movie called Juno. Does anybody remember the, the, the movie Juno about a pregnant girl? She decides to keep the child, give, it up, give the child up for adoption instead of having an abortion. Actually, a very cool movie. I recommend it to those who want to kind of learn what it's like to be a teenager that's pregnant because I don't know what it's like to be a teenage girl that's pregnant. So Juno was a good movie to kind of show me that. Uh, she now gets angry with him 
because she knows that Hillsong Church has a stance against homosexuality. They are with the Assemblies of God in Australia, Australia, and that's very similar to the doctrines we have here, okay? So they have churches in New York and all over, but, but Ellen gets a little bit upset here, Ellen Page, because she doesn't like that this famous actor has a church that makes a stance about stuff that he himself does not make in public. Let's see what she says. She says, if you are a famous actor and you belong to an organization that hates a certain group of people, don't be surprised if someone simply wonders why it's not addressed. Now, a couple things that are wrong here. Um, Hillsong doesn't hate LGBT people, nor do we, but we consider it a sin. We put it in the same category of all other sins. God loves sinners but hates sin. How many of you have repented of sin before? All right, so you're no different than anyone else that needs to repent of sins. But she's now holding his feet to the fire. Like, you're going to go on a talk show. You're going to mention the name of your church. I want you now to tell us in public what your church really believes about homosexuality. Put it out there. Being anti-LGBTQ is wrong. There aren't two sides. The damage it causes is severe. Full stop sending love to all. Now, how many know she wasn't sending love to Chris right there? Okay. But in her mind, she can hate Chris and still be a loving person because at this point, Chris doesn't deserve love. You see the hypocrites, the hypocrisy? Christians are actually called to love even though we know we can call them vipers on their way to hell, but we still love them. And when you see us preach to people like you've seen us preach now, you know we love you, but we'll still call you out, right? But she don't show no love to Chris, but then she says she's showing love to everybody. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. There's no love there for Chris. I can honestly say I love her. I really could. I could say I love you, but you're a snake and a viper if you deny this thing, okay? Being honest. Now, notice that this, uh, and you can go to my Facebook page. I have all the links. But notice that this magazine picks it up, online magazine, and sees that there's now a contradiction going on here. That Chris Pratt is talking about his church and his pastor, and he's talking about love and Bible verses, but he's putting no real scripture toward what the issue is towards them believing that homosexuality is a sin. So let's look at how this magazine calls him out a little bit. Despite the actor's penchant or penchant for quoting Bible verses, which I just found out is a cool way of saying like he likes to habitually do that. So despite the actor's habit for quoting Bible verses, he made sure to state he is not officially affiliated with the church as a spokesman. Not too bad right there. I'm not a pastor, so I can't speak for him. But watch. He wrote, my values define who I am. I am a man who believes that everyone is entitled to love who they want, free from the judgment of their fellow man. A little bit shady right there. I mean, uh, can I love a little girl that's like five years old? Uh, Can a man love a three-year-old boy? Hello. Uh, we, We do have some morals in this society, and we kind of just don't say love whoever you want to love. Can a rapist love their victim? Sure, if, they, if they're sick in the head. Can a pedophile love the one they're raping? Sure, if they're sick in the head. So there needs to be a little bit more than just, uh, I don't judge whoever you love. How many know that can be a problem? Uh, that's not how Jesus taught us to love. Jesus taught us to love within the scripture. Now watch what happens here. The magazine's noticing that he's running away. He's running the 100-yard dash. He's scared now. He doesn't want to be called out. He wants, he wants out of this conversation. Now the magazine noticed this. With Hillsong celebrity members, including Justin and Haley Haley Bieber, who recently publicized their choice of celibacy before uh, marriage under the guidance of Hillsong's pre-marriage course, Hillsong is developing a cult-like following in Hollywood. Isn't that how Scientology started? Now, notice that they compare Hillsong to Scientology. 
What is, and I study cults, what is the number one attribute about Scientology that makes it a cult? Does anybody want to shout it out? Take a guess. It's all right if you're wrong. I won't embarrass you. Take a guess. What's the number one quality that everybody studying this goes, oh, yeah, cult for sure? What's that? Well, they deny Jesus. They're a biblical cult by that definition. To become a Bible cult, where Christians who read the Bible call you a cult, you deny Jesus. But this is a generic term like cult of the culture. Like what makes this a cult behavior? What makes this like all people in the culture, whether you're Christians or Muslims, you should stay away from these guys. Control that comes from secrecy. Control that comes from secrecy. You don't always know what in the world they believe because they won't tell you what they believe. Like the Masons, like those that are high up in those religions, they won't tell you what they believe. Like the Muslims, they're not going to tell you all of the things that they believe. There are cults in this world that hide from you the truth of what they're really going to do. That's why a Muslim terrorist can live next to you and act like they're your neighbor and then go blow something up. Not saying all Muslims are, but those who are in that version of Islam, they are controlled and they are secret, just like the Jim Jones cult. You didn't know all that was going on in the Jim Jones cult. Should Christianity, should Christianity and our beliefs be a, a secret? Because right now, what in the world does Hillsong believe? Well, Hillsong now gets involved, and now they put out their statement. Let's go up and go up here and read their statement. Hillsong Church loves all people. This was put out February 14th. Trust me, I'm getting somewhere, people. Hillsong Church loves all people. We would like to clarify and correct the following misinformation that has appeared in several media outlets recently. Now, do me a favor. Just scroll up and down so everybody can see the whole thing here. Okay, now come back. There you go. Do you even see a Bible verse in this thing? Okay, so now immediately, that's a red, sign, a red flag to me because as a church, you're telling me you are overseeing tens of thousands of members all over the world. You are in the news media and you are going to now correct and clarify something and I don't even see a Bible verse here. What are you correcting and clarifying with? Your opinion? Let's keep going. Hillsong Church does not preach against anyone or any group. How many know John the Baptist did the opposite of that? Come on, let's be honest. John the Baptist did the opposite of that. Let's keep going. We are not anti-anyone. Well, that's true. You shouldn't be anti-anyone, but you do preach against behaviors and what people do. We are an inclusive Christian church that loves, values, and welcomes all people regardless of their background, ethnicity, ethnicity, beliefs, values, or personal identity. How many know that term, inclusive Christian, just means something different to everybody? Because what does that mean, you're inclusive? Because there are churches that will marry, you know, the homosexual and, and, and transgender and all of this and that. See, you haven't said anything. Now, some people you just visited today, you will wish you were at a church like that, right? Well, let me go find this inclusive church because I don't feel so included right now. Well, hell is a place for people who are not included in the body of Christ. I'm, if you are here today and you know you're not included in the body of Christ, that's a good thing because you got to repent to get in that body. That's the same way I got in. So I'm trying to tell everybody you're included when you're not is actually a lie. Let's keep going. We also as a church uh, adhere to mainstream biblical values shared by the overwhelming majority of evangelical Christian churches around the world and millions of Christians across the U.S. Believing the teachings of the Bible and loving all people, including those who have different perspectives, are not mutually exclusive. In fact, this is very definition of tolerance and inclusiveness. Stop right here. Hold on. 
I, I, I study the Bible, so I know I think what majority of people believe. I know some things. I know some of those buzzwords in there. But I went to Google to say, what do the majority of Christians believe? There is no real majority position right now. What in the world does that mean? What does that mean? And let's just say it's supposed to be a little underground way of saying, well, we believe homosexuality is a sin. Why not put a Bible verse there and show that it's a sin? Why not explain to people that it's a sin? Why not take your time to do what John the Baptist did? Because they think they're slick. But yet, the world they're trying to be slick with is watching them going, y'all ain't slick, you're a cult. Because Scientology doesn't tell us what they believe either. And we're not falling for this. You see, they think they're saving face, but they're really not. It would be better if they told us this is what we believe, scripture and verse. Let's keep going. So we're going to tolerate and, and be inclusive. Hillsong Church was founded in 1983 by our senior pastors, Brian and Bobby Houston. And all these years, Pastor Brian has been a vocal opponent of gay conversion therapy and has made it clear to our pastors that we do not support that approach. The very thing, the only thing that they state they are against is what other Christians do to try to help the gay community. Now, I am not personally a therapist, so I do not do therapy with Christians who want to get out of same-sex attractions. I believe you were born that way, sure, but get born again Jesus' way, end of discussion. You don't need 12 steps, one step to Jesus. There you go, I'll meet you there. But the very thing, listen, the, the hall pass they get from the world that says, oh yeah, you could say you're against this, is the very thing what other Christian brothers and sisters are doing, which now is illegal in California and other states. You cannot be a Christian counselor and help counsel children and help them see that same-sex desires are wrong. He pimp slaps Christian counseling right there. Won't put a scripture and say anything he really believes, but he is going to tell you what he's against. He's against those wacko Christians trying to counsel young people who may be transgender, who may be these things. He's against that. But he hasn't said one thing about sin, hasn't said one thing about repentance, hasn't said one thing about hell, hasn't said one thing about the axe laid at the tree. Are you all getting why I'm bringing this up yet? Are some of you skipping to the end? How many are skipping to the end? How many can follow me already? None of you? How many? I'm trying to tell you they're not preaching like Jesus preached. They're not preaching like John the Baptist preached. We're going to read John the Baptist's message again, and this time we're going to put it into the culture you live in. But let's get to the end. Let's at least honor them. At Hillsong, we want to be known for who we are for. For uh, We are for people finding hope in Jesus. We are for people finding love and acceptance. And we are for helping uh, people in any way we can. Our focus is not on pointing people to Jesus as the way. Or excuse me, our focus is on pointing people to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. No matter where you are in the world, where you, when you enter our doors, you'll be greeted with a sign that says, Welcome home. Uh, that is the heartbeat of Hillsong Church. Indeed, that's the heartbeat of God. Go back to the notes, please. I want to ask you three questions out of what we just read. I want to ask you three questions. According to that statement... According to that statement, do they believe homosexuality is a sin that can send people to hell? Yes or no? No. You have no idea what they believe. According to that statement, do they allow homosexuals, LGBTQ, to be members in their church? Yes. They actually don't, though. But according to that statement, the majority of you thought they did. Number three, do they perform homosexual marriages and affirm those who are already in same-sex couples or transgender couples? Now you don't know. So let me ask you a question. What was the point of that statement? What in the world was the point of that statement? What in the world did that accomplish? It accomplished one thing. The world now thinks they're a cult. 
They're cowards. They're cowards. They're cowards. They were not able to take the spotlight that was brought to them and to turn it back on them now and say, this is the word of God. You put your spotlight on us, we're going to shine the word of God on you. Listen to what John the Baptist did. But when he saw many from Hollywood and when he saw many from the music industry, when he saw many talk show hosts that that they were paying attention to him, he said, you brought a vipers. Ellen Page, who warns you about the coming wrath? Ellen Page, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Ellen Page, Ellen DeGeneres, Oprah Winfrey. And do not think you can say to yourself, we're Americans. We have freedom of speech. We can do whatever you want. God could raise up Americans out of stones if he wanted to. I tell you that right now the axe is already at the root of your tree. And every tree that does not produce good fruit, Ellen, will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I am a pastor, Ellen, and I baptize you with water. But Jesus, who is coming, he's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing folk, Ellen, is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Any other questions, Ellen? How many know that's clear? And if you want to know our stance on homosexuality, you know what you do? See, our church is a few hundred. Theirs is thousands. You know what what our little old church has? A statement on our website that you can actually go under beliefs, and it talks about abortion, talks about homosexuality, and you can know what we believe. You can see why we believe God created Adam and Eve and why sexual sin of all kinds is perverted and how God can change people. Would you go to the meme that I put up? I want to ask you to stand up and give a hand clap for Jesus today. Come on. Do you believe in the word of God? Band and altar workers, would you come, please? If you have children in the back, would you please go and get them? You can come back into the sanctuary, but we want to make sure our children's workers can get ready for the second service. If Jesus is the son of God, is he worth you preaching? If Jesus is the son of God, is he worth worth your courage? I want to ask you this because this is the world excuse me, that we live in right now. We live in a world of lukewarm Christians. You can have milk cold or you can have it hot, right? You can have coffee cold or you can have it hot, but nobody likes it lukewarm. Nobody. It's been sitting out all day on the pot, you know, it's, you know coffee, it's been shut off, the pot's there. It, ah, nasty, right? Nobody likes lukewarm milk. Sometimes my children come and they, you know, they have cereal in the morning and they'll leave the milk out and I'll think they weren't, you know, uh, forgetful that maybe they knew I was coming or something, that, that, that it was only out there for a few minutes, in other words, and I'll come there, and I'll pour it into my milk, and it's like, uh, pour it into my cereal, so lukewarm, it's like, oh, why'd you guys do that? Put the milk away. How many parents say to your kids, put the milk away? Don't leave it out. They'll have cereal for two hours sometimes in our house. Just they'll eat a little bit, come back, eat a little bit, and the milk's sitting out. Don't do that. We know what lukewarm is. I want to ask a question today. If you're here today as a lukewarm Christian, when did cowards behind the pulpit become your heroes? When did that way of doing something become so admirable? And when did the courageous become your enemy? Why is it now in this culture we live in, I'm looked at by people as a hater, 
But yet they're looked at as being so wise. Oh, that was so cool. Hillsong put that out. Didn't even have a scripture verse in it. Explained absolutely nothing except they love and they're for everybody. But I'm so glad they did that. You see, don't let cowards become heroes and the courageous become your enemies. Listen to the prophet's words. Listen to the voices calling out in the wilderness like John the Baptist saying, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Get ready, North America. Jesus is coming. Get ready, entertainment industry. Jesus is coming. And he's coming as the Son of God with tens of thousands of angels with him riding on his white horse. Because if the prophet offends your feelings, your political correct feelings probably needed to be offended. Why? Because your soul depends on it. Your soul depends on it. I want to see Ellen in this church. I want to see Chris Pratt in this church. We have a lot of famous people that live in Chicago. I want to see them filling up this front row going, that's right, pastor. I'm not ashamed. I preach and I'll do it. Do you know that when Michael Jackson was growing up, his grandmother was a Jehovah Witness, and even while they were famous, the Jackson Five would go knocking on doors with his mom. That's one of the stories he told. Janet Jackson, all of them, they would go knock on doors. If cults had enough common sense to teach their people to do that, why are we not doing it? Why are we ashamed of this? Why do we think we're better than Jesus and the disciples who went and preached in marketplaces? Because if the Son of God, think about it, was willing to be baptized, get hungry, be tired, and eventually be crucified, why are you not willing to go into this world and pay a price for the message? I love this nation. I love people. Don't you love people? I do, man. And I want to I tell them, this is what God's going to do. But listen, I can't be the only one, guys. I want to know, is there a generation of John the Baptists in this place today? Is there a church of people that will be voices crying out in the wilderness, crying out on their jobs, crying out to their families, crying out to their communities, make straight the way of the Lord because he's coming. Let's pray right now in Jesus' name. Father, we ask you to speak to people. If they are themselves are here today, no matter who they are, if they are not right with you, God, if they are in trouble, I pray that they'll start to come even right now to the front and receive prayer so that they can confess their sins, so that they can then be baptized and live for you. If you're here today and you want to confess sins, you want to respond to this message and say, I just want to get right with God too. I need to do it. Just come even right now as I keep praying. Lord, I ask now for the rest of us that we would be like John the Baptist, that we would be messengers. If you want to be a messenger for Jesus, would you raise up your hands right now? Come on. Raise up your hands if you want to be a messenger. Second service, you guys can start to come in. Come on, who wants to be a messenger? We're going to start transitioning right now to second service. We'll dismiss in just a moment the first. But I want you right now to start asking God to give you boldness give you compassion give you love because there's a world out there that needs this message we don't preach repentance because we hate people we don't preach repentance because we're their judges 
We preach it because we love them and we want to see them changed. If you're here today and you want to be a John the Baptist, meet me up at these altars. I want to see who I'm praying for.